I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. Today's episode features a special installment of What's on the Front Table from the Strand Bookstore in New York City. I recently had the opportunity to talk with Carson Moss, who's the head buyer for the Strand Bookstore. He'll give us the scoop on the rumored quiz every prospective employee of the Strand must take. And of course, he'll talk to us about what's on their front table. And later in the episode, I will share with you some books that might help you be a better citizen. I call it What You Need to Know. And lastly, all this month, we're participating in a movement called Tripod. Tell a friend, your mom, anyone about a podcast that they might love. Let us know what podcasts you're sharing on social media by using the hashtag Tripod, T-R-Y pod. Thanks for spreading the word, but first, Carson from the Strand. We are joined today on Just the Right Book podcast by Carson Moss, who is a bookseller at The Strand in New York City. Now, The Strand was born in 1927. Uh, It is considered a temple of bookstores. It has been at its current location on Broadway and 12th Street since 1957. And it's got an awful lot of books. How many, Carson? Well, we believe about half a million. Half Uh, a million. Who's counted them? (laughs) You know, we inventory almost everything now. You do, Uh, right? Yeah, to to perhaps the disgust of some of our old-time customers. When did you guys uh, make that switch? Because I remember it was legendary that you didn't. We made the switch in the mid-90s. Wow. We put in our first operating system and everything started to be entered. But before that, you know, the booksellers, you just had to remember what you'd brought in that day. And a lot of them did. It's remarkable to to think about. And you also have a gorgeous section of rare books. What's the rarest or let's say the most valuable of the books that you've got in the store? I think the one that stands out is a limited editions club of James Joyce's Ulysses. And that is signed by James Joyce and Henry Matisse. Oh, my goodness. So it was Matisse agreed to do the illustrations for this book. Now, the the publisher of Limited Editions Club, it was a little little brave of him to do this because this was only a couple years after the courts had ruled that Ulysses could be published in the United States. Right. It had been banned, you know, and, and considered obscene for a number of years. So he... The publisher of, of LEC approached Matisse and said, you know, I think you're the perfect artist uh, for a work of this stature. And Matisse, you know, up, according to the legend, you know, somewhat guiltily said, I, I haven't actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so the publisher got a French translation and gave it to Matisse. And the next day, Matisse got back to him and said, I would be thrilled to do this. Hmm. And I can tell that, you know, Joyce is really, you know, parodying these episodes from Homer's Odyssey. So the publisher was a little surprised when he received Matisse's artwork and discovered that Matisse had chosen to actually illustrate Homer's Odyssey instead (laughs) of the actual Ulysses by James Joyce. Uh, So what ended up happening is there were 1,500 copies printed. Uh, Matisse and Joyce were scheduled to sign all of them. Matisse followed through and signed 1,500. Uh, Joyce only signed 250, uh, and the story was he was just a little too upset about Matisse choosing to illustrate Homer rather than him to uh, continue signing. So huh. we have one of those 250 that, uh, that they both signed. So how much could I buy it for? 
$45,000. Okay, I'll send a check down. <laughs> Perfect. So, Carson, how did you become a bookseller? What made you start at the Strand? Well, I, you know, it was actually, it's the only job I've had since college. I've been here since 2001. Hmm. Uh, I moved to New York after school, and I, I was really interested, actually, in antiquarian selling and rare books. Um, and I had an interview at the at the great old story, the Gotham Book Mart, which, oh, sure. which is unfortunately no longer around. Uh, and Andy Brown, who was the owner, uh, did not have anything for me at the time, and, and I was totally inexperienced. Uh, and he was kind enough to call down to the Strand to a friend of his here and and recommend me after the interview. So I, I, I got the job that way. And uh, and from there, I, I was a bookseller on the floor. I was a manager in our uh, sort of mail order department, which is really our, was our website uh, for a few years. And now I've been uh, the sort of lead buyer for the store for the last 10 years or so. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's such a fun job. I don't have to tell you, and you know this, but it is such a fun job. The romance of it is quite true. I think that's right. I think that's right because you, you know, you do schlep the boxes <laughs> and you do, you do shelve an awful lot. Right. Uh, but in between all that, while that's going on, you're, you're talking to other readers. Yeah. And you're getting a chance to introduce some tremendous, uh, you know, authors to them. You know, and, and I, you know, when I graduated from college, I, I studied English literature and, you know, I had the sort of cockiness of any person in the early 20s. I felt like I knew a lot. You know, yeah. I, I was really on top of... Maybe more than anybody ever. Right, absolutely. <laughs> like, I'm the first one who knows this much about books, right. right? And then I came to the Strand, and I'm listening to the conversations of my coworkers on the first day. And I'm realizing I've never heard of any of these authors that they're yeah. talking about, uh, which, you know, is scary for a moment, but then it's exciting, you know, and, and you really, you, you understand how much there is to discover. Now, is there really a quiz at the Strand that you have to take? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a long-time tradition uh, started by the owner. Uh, and there's a little matching uh, 10 authors, 10 titles. And, you know, we change it every two to three years or so. Right. Uh, it, you know, it's actually it's tough to write the quiz because you're, you're looking for books that are, you know, well-known enough that it, you don't want to be unfair. Yeah, you don't want to be a trickster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but also, you know, reflect uh, you know a variety of genres and, and people's backgrounds, and uh, and you know, to be honest, uh, you know, while we do look at the quiz, and, and we hope that you know someone gets a few right, it's not the the final say. Yeah. Thankfully, uh, what did they come in? Carson, one of the things that we say to our booksellers that is a compensatory for the hard work and, you know, relatively low wages mm -hmm. is that doing your job right on uh, the floor waiting on customers, you really can change a customer's life. You can really find the book that cheers them up or yep. makes them understand other worlds. And the question I like to ask booksellers who come on to talk about what's on their front table is, what's the book that changed your life? That's, that's a great question. I, um, I, would, I would have to say uh, Dream Tigers mm -hmm. by Jorge Luis Borges. Um, and tell us it why. Was, it was, you know, it was, it's actually, funnily enough, it was the f first used book I ever bought uh, mm. on my own. I, I think I bought it probably when I was 13 or 14. And you know what it was? I think it really broke open my sense of, of what's possible with the written word. And I mm. know that sounds very highfalutin, but, you know, the, the book is really a, a series of, of modern parables uh, that are a paragraph or only a page long at most. Um, it's actually half prose and half poetry. Right. Uh, but the, you know, there are... What he did with language in that book 
felt so important and it was beautiful and it was engaging at the same time. It just, it felt so innovative to me. And, and I think I didn't realize, you know, that there, there is no limit on what an author can do um, if they want to. And, and there's nothing wrong with a great pot boiler that's a, that's a mystery as well. But, uh, but this really opened my eyes, at, you know, at a very, you know, uh, Yeah, that's pretty age. young to pick him up. Yeah, I'm I, I sure that I, I, I know I didn't understand most of it, and I probably still don't understand half of it. But yeah. uh, it's, he, he's a wonderful writer. Um, he is. I, I, he's one of my favorite writers. Yeah, me too. Me too. So the purpose of our conversation is... I am uh, intrigued always, and I think customers are, about what bookstores choose to put on their front table. And Mm -hmm. they reflect, you know, the um, word independent in in the description of our bookstores. They reflect, you know, attractive jackets. They reflect what you think your customers will want. It reflects what you want your customers uh, to want so, tell us what's on your front tables, and tell us a little bit about why you chose to put any of these books on your front table. Sure, sure. Um, so, I'll start with uh, a book that comes out today. Actually, um, it's Shadow Bond uh, by Steve Erickson, and it's coming out from. It is being published by Blue Writer Press. Um, now, Erickson is uh, is one of those writers' writers. Yep. <laughs> He's a guy you'll hear mentioned all the time as as being extremely influential. Um, he wrote Days Between Stations and Tours of the Black Clock. I think her tour was his better-known previous titles. Um, he, the books he writes are, are, are reality-bending. You know, um, oftentimes the, the landscape of the story takes on the, the sort of psychological state of his characters. Ooh. You know, it's, 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 it's a magical realism, but, but a very American version of magical realism. Um, I, I saw a quote about him from The Believer where they called him a master of defamiliarizing us from our own world. And Ooh. I thought that was really, really apt. Um, the worlds in his books are, are, you know, are very similar to ours, but, but just a little bit off. A little off. Yeah, which th- really throws the reader. You know? So it, it really forces you to pay attention, which, which I love. Um, so, so the premise of this book, and I still haven't read it. This is one that's been on my list to read for months, uh, and I got a copy last week, so I'm, I'm very excited to pick it up. So the premise is the Twin Towers have reappeared uh, in the South Dakota Badlands in about 2021 and have become a kind of American Stonehenge. Uh, nobody knows how they've reappeared. Nobody can enter them, but, but they attract visitors from all over the country, uh, and they become you know a real sort of gathering place and uh, and a sort of spiritual mecca, I guess, for, for people searching. Um, the, the towers sing. There's music coming from them. But every viewer who, who sees them in person hears a different song, hears a different, you know, musical sort of mm. refrain. Um, and people who are looking up at the towers notice there is a lone figure high, high up, and on, I think on the 93rd floor, I believe. Uh, and we are then introduced to that figure, who is Jesse Presley who was Elvis's stillborn twin. And he has kind of magically come into being when these towers reappeared. But he has a memory of the 20th century in which he lived and, and Elvis did not. Um, and, I, and from there, you know, it's really an opportunity for Erickson to riff on American life, uh, you know, divisions within America today and music, which is one of his favorite things, themes to return back to and its importance in sort of American culture. Um, 
And I felt I feel like this is a title uh, that is attempting something larger, you know, than just telling mm-hmm. a linear story. Where it's attempting to say something about America. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it's a book that again will challenge its readers, but but also you know has a lighter touch at times, has some humor in it. Um, and and again, an author who deserves a wide readership uh, and may not be as well known yet. Yeah. So, All right, so you hoping. sold me. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so another title, uh, and this one uh, will be very familiar, I think, uh, came out last week uh, called Norse Mythology yep. by Neil Gaiman. Uh, came out, it has been published by W.W. Norton. We were lucky enough to actually do an uh, event with Neil at, at New York's Town Hall last week where there were 1,400 people there. Yeah. Neil signed 2,000 books <laughs> in about two hours. Yeah. Uh, he's a machine. He is. Um, but he, he's remark. I mean, he's so great to his fans. He has a really heavy online presence, and, and uh, he has a lot of loyalty. Uh, I'd say cult following, but he's more popular than that, you know. So, Carson, I'll tell you a Neil Gaiman story. Yeah, um, please. He was at R.J. Julia's, and we had about 1,500 people in line. He sold about 2,000. Mm-hmm. But similar experience. And it was a, um array of diverse people yep. in line mm-hmm. uh, and and one common feature were a lot of tattoos but one <laughs> woman walks up to Neil uh, who I believe his wife was with him I'm not I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly but she picks up her skirt and she has a tattoo <laughs> of Neil Gaiman's face oh, no. <laughs> on her upper thigh I mean a large sleeve-like tattoo that was not a temporary tattoo. Oh my goodness! And wow. the likeness was pretty perfect. <laughs> and Neil said, "It's not often when I do these signings that I end up with a first of something." He said, <laughs> I bet <laughs> you win. He said, <laughs> "She should. She should win for that." It that was pretty choice. stunning. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, his, yeah, but that's that's a great. That's a great example of how dedicated <laughs> right. uh, some of these fans are. Uh, well, so in this book, he he is retelling uh, Norse myths. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not making up new myths. He's really basing it on, you know, the Ada and 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 the story of Odin and and Thor and Loki, as as you know, people have read about for for a long, long time. But he's, you know, he's modernized it somewhat. Um, he actually, I think, maintains a nice balance between modernizing but keeping that that eternal feel. That, that mythology yeah. should have, um, and he, he, you know, he he has always has sort of playful flourishes in his writing, and he does a great job incorporating those. I think uh, to you know what can be stiff retellings in, in previous editions. Yeah, um, I'm a new convert. Uh, I, I have historically read not any science fiction, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but in preparing for him to come to the store, I you know, binged on Neil Gaiman and happily binged. That's the thing. It's just his books are so compulsively readable. Uh, you, you think, I'll just read a chapter, and then it's an hour later, and, you know, you're, you're 100 pages in. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, is, he is a real gift. Um, and especially for someone who writes across so many genres successfully. You know, you, you see authors who are known for saying right, writing, you know, novels will dabble sometimes in a kid's book here, or maybe they'll have a collection of essays and they might be, you know, tepidly received and say, people kind of say, stick to what you, you do well. Yeah. But he does it all. I mean, he does it all really well. Um, I mean, Coraline is a, is a magnificent book yeah. um, for, for, you know, middle grade readers. Um, 
and I think what it is is you know he he has real honesty as a writer and there's there's real uh there's real genuine knowledge behind what he's he's putting down on paper. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh so that one we're very excited about. It's been, you know, that's already near the top of our bestseller list pretty quickly. Right. Um I would like to mention a, a monograph actually. We have a really we have a quite a large art department here at the store. Um it's about 6,000, 7,000 square feet. Um, and that's, that's a big part of our business. Uh, and one of our favorite publishers is Steidel, who are, uh, who are based in Germany. But they are really the preeminent photography book publishers right. out there. I think they're doing some of the most interesting, uh, well, they're finding the most interesting photographers, unknown photographers, I think, and they give them an opportunity. But they also have the most luxurious productions. Um, along with probably Aceline. Yeah, they are um, art books. Yes, yes. So, so this title came out in December. It's it's titled uh, Cars, New York City, 1974 to 1976. The photographer is uh, Langdon Clay, and and it is what the title says. It is from 1974 to 1976. Clay, who was I think in his early 20s at the time, he walked the streets of New York City in Hoboken, New Jersey, at night and photographed cars parked on the street, which sounds you know, very simple, and it is, but these pictures are absolutely breathtaking. Um, the, the book is, is oversized. It's about 14 inches long, about 10 inches high. And, and the, so the photo, each photograph is about 12 and a half by eight and a half. He shot it in Kodachrome. And, and according to the book, it's lit with sodium vapor lights, which I have to be honest, means nothing whatsoever to me. Nor me. But what I think you see is, is the effect of that, and that's to say that the, the colors, I mean, they're, they're really jewel-like. I mean, they pop so vividly, both on the car and on the backdrop. And really, the, the backdrop is almost more interesting than the cars themselves, uh, because, you know, this is 1970s New York, so there are incredible storefronts, these gorgeous graphic designs of, of sort of advertisement murals that were done on the sides of buildings back then. They're industrial buildings, apartment buildings, and, and, and it really rewards, you know, a viewer who comes back to each photograph or spends, you know, time with each photograph as de- little details begin to kind of pop at you and, and stand out that you didn't notice at first. Uh, it, 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 is just, uh, it is just a beautiful, beautiful book. And I'm not a car person in any way, and these are not by any means gorgeous cars. These are used, you know, these mm-hmm. are cars people are or driving whatever around. on the street. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, but it, it's you know it's it's jumped out to everybody who's seen it here at the store. Um, I uh, I would, couldn't recommend it highly enough for anyone interested in, in photography or in New York City in the seventies, which is certainly a, a popular time in its its history at the moment. You, you know, it's funny. It's it, you can't help but think about Cuba in the fifties. Yes. That's a that's absolutely a great comparison, and you know I was born in '79, so this is before my time, and I try not to romanticize that era, um, but yeah. it's hard not to when you know the rents are what they are today. So well, you, you know, think, I lived in New York um, in those years, yeah. and it was a pretty gritty place in the '70s. I, I believe it. I mean, that's right. I mean, I think that that's exactly right, and that's this book actually captures that grittiness. It's I want to say it's actually, it's almost plush and gritty at the same time. I don't know how he pulls it off. All right. Now, um, I'm going to have to come into the store for that one, too, Carson. Yes, please do. <laughs> um, 
So another title, uh, we also have a pretty large kids department, uh, which is on the same floor as our art department. And we, we feature, you know, an art table and a, and a kids table near the front of our, our main floor, just so people know, you know, you You've can find these them. types of books as you go into the store. Uh, this, this picture book came out last year, so it's a little older. It came out in September. It's called Animals by Angela P. Arrhenius, and I apologize because I'm sure it's I mangled that name. my favorite kids book. I'm sorry? It's my favorite kids book that came out last year. You know it, right? I love it. Oh, what a book. I love uh, I, it. I, I love it, too. <laughs> it's uh, it's about eight, 18 inches tall. Right. It's um, a big book. <laughs> So it's totally impractical. And, and as a buyer, you know, you know, one of our dirty secrets is how important the cover is right. the book when we decide whether we're going to carry it or not. Um, well, the size and formatting is very important, too. You know, hardcover versus paperback. And to see something 18 inches tall, you, you kind of roll your eyes a little and say, well, where am I going to put that? And how am I going to get that in front of the customer? Right. But a book like this is totally worth it. I, uh, I wanted to own that book. And the other thing that the book does, so it says Carson's describing it. It's an oversized book. The illustrations of the animals have both a primitive quality and a sophisticated quality. I mean, mm-hmm. which which sounds obviously uh, incompatible. It it sort of begs you to put the book on the floor, open it, and feel like a little kid turning the pages in a big, beautiful kids book. No question. And then the only way we've ever viewed it in my in my apartment is on the floor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I got an early copy and I, I market tested it with my two-year-old son and he noisily approved the yeah. entire way through. I mean, he was making all the noises. He couldn't get enough. I mean, he was just laughing when he would see how sort of bold and sunny illustrations jumping out at him. I mean, he, he loved it. Um, and, and, and I think it, it works for older kids as well. Yeah. Well, it worked for me and I'm in my late 60s. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think that's a pretty diverse audience. Absolutely. But it, it, that's... You, you hit the nail on the head in that you see it and you just have, kind of have to open it. You really want to peek inside and take a look at, at what uh, the graphic designs are just, uh, just eye-catching. Carson, one, one question I have for you. Lots of bookstores are struggling, or struggling might not be the right word, but thinking about what books they want to display um, that are reflective of new issues that are coming up about understanding government or going back to dystopian books that were published in the 30s or sure, sure. 1970s. Obviously, right. Weez, what, uh, yeah, what approach have you taken at the Strand? Well, you know, to be honest, those were themes that, that have been successful for us for, for a little while. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't as much, it hasn't been as much of a transition for us, you know, since the election, you know, I think was kind of the jumping off point for a lot of this being discussed. Um, we are embracing it wholeheartedly. Um, we are putting them front and center. Uh, we have a new nonfiction table, but frankly, if you looked at it, it would read like, you know, it's political science, it's African-American studies, it's cultural studies. Those things are, are really at, on everyone's tongues right now, you know, in, yeah. in conversation and, and what they're and what they're interested in and what they're reading about. So we've been uh, excited to, to, to pass those kinds of things along. What are a couple that are your most favorite or that you think are the most important? Well, I think, you know, there's one that just got reissued uh, by Vintage uh, by Dorothy Roberts uh, called Killing the Black Body. Mm. Uh, race, reproduction, and the meaning of liberty. It, it originally came out in the late 90s, um, and she she's extremely accomplished uh, professor. Um, I, I forget which school she's at, but 
it is uh, it is just a stunning book, and and it's and it, the way it lays bare, you know, how African Americans feel uh, when they are hit with the institutional biases uh, in American life, yeah. and uh, and how difficult it is to you know to express that I think, and then to to get other people to understand what they face on a daily basis. Um, so that's one that that I'm I was very happy to see Vintage pushing again. Uh, and I think that a lot of people should read. Uh, you know, the one that, that everybody is selling, and I'm sure this is true at your store, is, and this has been our bestseller for two years now, is Chimamanda Adichie's uh, We Are All Feminists. Right. Uh, and that, um, that is what it says it is. It was a speech that she gave, and uh, it is, it's basically telling everyone you should be for <laughs> equal rights across yeah. all genders. Oh, uh, or more to the point, how can you not be? Exactly. Absolutely. They're human rights. It's not about women's rights or African-American rights, really. It's, it's human rights, you know, and everybody should be. It sounds so obvious, you know, when you talk about it like this, uh, but these books are necessary, clearly, and uh, and that's where, you know, what you said earlier, you, you come to work every day and you, you know, you feel like you can do something that, that has some importance and and pointing people in a in a enlightened direction if if that's possible. Uh, yeah, well, I do think you know, we're not going to necessarily um speak to people who are committed to being closed-minded, but right. I am right. a believer that most people are not and that the opportunity to put a book in their hand which sort of shapes the information in a way that might resonate with them and other things haven't. And that's, you know, so picking these books so that they might resonate, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to be doing what everybody accuses everybody else of, and that is speaking in an echo chamber. And to me, part of it is stepping outside that echo chamber and, and thinking about, what type of book might resonate with somebody both in and outside that echo chamber? Sure, sure. Um, no and, and thanks for the, for these two books. Now, uh, before we close, what are you reading right now, Carson? I'm reading uh, Denise Mina, uh, The Long Drop, which is being published by Little Brown in um, in May, I believe it is. Uh, she's a Scottish thriller writer, uh, mysteries. Um, and I've never read her before. Uh, a friend of mine who works there uh, sent it to me, and she knows I'm interested in Scotland, so I'm loving it. It's it's really remarkable. She's the type of writer who, in just a paragraph, she allows you to know a character inside and out. Uh, just such a gift. Um, and, and it's a fascinating portrait of, of Glasgow in the 1950s and what life was like among the lower classes and the criminal class. Uh, so that that's one that I will certainly be recommending once uh, we have it on the table. The When's store. that coming out? It's coming out in May, I, I, I think. Great. Yeah. All right, terrific. Well, Carson, thank you so much for joining us on Just the Right Book, and mostly thank you for being a part of an institution like the Strand Bookstore that has made, you know, no doubt millions and millions of readers happy to discover some book somewhere in that vast bookstore of yours (laughs) in downtown New York. Well, thank you. That's very kind, and it's been my pleasure. The other day, it occurred to me that lots of people were talking about issues and books that they hadn't been talking about a lot. But given uh, the new presidency and the interest in becoming active, I thought it might be fun to share with you some books that you might 
want to read. So this might seem sort of basic, but Penguin has a series of attractive little small paperbacks. Uh, They call it their civic classics. They're all very informative, fascinating, easy to carry, and make for engrossing reading. But there's a couple that I would urge you to pick up. One is self-explanatory. One of their books is the Declaration of Independence. So, Reading that has obvious benefits. But the other is, which I either had never read or hadn't read in a really long time, are the Federalist Papers. And the reason I'm recommending that is there's been a fair amount of conversation about the balance of power among the legislative, judicial, and executive branches. And what are those balance of powers? So the Federalist Papers are 85 essays written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. And the purpose of the papers was to help Americans have the information to vote on ratifying the Constitution. Now, these were not one coherent set of writings. They were all done rather quickly and done separately, but They represent a remarkable coherence of thought and practical utility in settling practical disputes in our current day. And it is highly readable. The other thing you'll notice when you pick them up is the eloquence and thoughtfulness of the writing from these early founders and politicians of our country is pretty remarkable when you think of how long-standing what they wrote. Now, if you want to read something contemporary, here's a couple of books that I think are just perfect. One is The Unwinding and Inner History of the New America by George Packer. I think George Packer writes for The New Yorker, is one of the most eloquent um, writers out there. He uses the story of any number of Americans from all walks of life to talk about what America looks like from their perspective. Uh, it's available as an audiobook or a print book. The other uh, couple of books that I think are interesting, City of Dreams is a 400-year epic history of immigration in New York. And you're reminded when you read this about the incredible value that immigrants have brought to our country here, particularly uh, they talk about it in New York. But you're also reminded of something else, the kind of stereotyping that has gone on from the beginning of time, whether it was the Irish or the Germans um, or the Jews that were coming to this country. So the kind of unpleasant conversation about the latest group of immigrants is not new. And what we've learned is each set of immigrants take their place in adding to the strength of our country. And then if you wanted to read about um, the civil rights movement, there is a really great trio of graphic novels that John Lewis, who was part of the early civil rights movement with Martin Luther King and now a congressman, has put together called March. And what I love about this graphic novel, not only is it smart, not only does it add the 
perspective of the arc of time, but it's perfect for all ages. You could read it as an eight-year-old and you could read it as an 80-year-old. The other book that actually is now out in paper and was originally published in uh, 2015 and was remarkably prescient about what we'd want to know is a book called How Propaganda Works by Jason Stanley. And I am delighted that Jason will be joining us on a podcast to talk about his book and how does propaganda work and what should we be alert to. So we've got more. We'll post them all on our website, but this will at least get you started. For a complete list of all the books in today's episode, including what's on the front table at the Strand Bookstore in New York City, just go to bookpodcast.com and don't forget to subscribe to Just the Right Book on iTunes. We want to hear from you, so please email us at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com. Just the Right Book Podcast is produced by Collisions Media, the podcast division of CRN International. Collisions, podcast for curious people. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres, and our sound engineer is Pat Keogh.